Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogers, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. We all get angry, right? We all experience situations or moments that make us mad or frustrated and make us react emotionally. God has designed us to be people with emotions and have the ability to express them, but He also calls us to be people of peace and joy. So when we do experience feelings of anger and frustration stemming from the sin of wrath, we need to learn to combat those with the truth found in God's Word. And that's what we're going to do in today's message. Thanks for being here today. All right. Well, um, good morning. My name is T. Lusk, uh, and I get to be the campus pastor here at Rolling Hills Columbia. Uh, and again, you know, as Kathy said a second ago, if you are here uh, because you came last night to comedy night, we're so glad that you're here and uh, are, are with us tonight or this morning. Uh, and if you didn't make it to comedy night, I'll just say that you're the person who missed out, right? That uh, it was awesome. We had a great time. We laughed a lot. Uh, Greg Bates and uh, whatever name we called them multiple name what was what jumper cables or smoking section it was something that was a couple different names um the uh they they did an incredible job of, of just doing some country covers and it was just a great night uh, and I know that some of you brought friends and, and those kind of things. And so I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to have an event that really was for our community. We say it over and over. We wear it on the t-shirts that we want to be for Columbia. And last night it was for Columbia. And, and today uh, we still we remain for Columbia. And we pray that so folks that came that maybe don't have a church, that God would bring them back and they could find a home here uh, at Rolling Hills Columbia. You know, we've been uh, in a series called Refine. If you want to grab your Bibles, uh, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 as our text this morning in this series called refine over the next over the past several weeks excuse me where we've been working through uh, the seven deadly sins and and really each week what we've been asking God to do is to uh, shine the light of his word and help us to explore these and, and by his grace to refine us to make us look more like him that we would find freedom and hope uh, in from his word from these, from these sins that we see in scripture and, and, and increasingly in our attitudes and our actions, the way that we live and, 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 and breathe, that we would become more like him, that our, their actions and attitudes would look more like him and we'd become fully mature disciples. You know, we talked about this uh, several times and, uh, the, the seven deadly sins, as they're known as the list that we've worked through, is considered like the, the host or the root where a host of other sinful attitudes and actions grow. You know, these aren't the only sins, right? But the, the, so the seven deadly sins are the, considered the roots where other, a host of other sinful attitudes and actions grow. But we believe, because scripture tells us, that all sin is deadly, all sin is deadly and, and it destroys the life that God meant for us to live. And so we've covered so far, we've covered lust and gluttony, greed, sloth. Last week, Pastor Mike crushed it and covered sloth. And this past week I was at Mojo's and excuse me, many of you know that I had surgery last week or yeah, last week or and, and some time ago, and I, I was still not really eating, but I went to Mojo's and we went to the Franklin Mojo's and I was walking through and this guy stopped me. He's like, are you the gluttony guy? <laughs> like, that's what I want to be known for. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, that's good. But yes, I am. He was like, I was watching what you were ordering. I was like, well, I'm not ordering anything today. So I uh, still haven't been able to, to put down a taco, but that's coming. Um, but this morning we're going to cover uh, wrath. 
You know, we laughed last night, but that's over. <laughs> Today, it's wrath. We're going to cover anger and this, this deadly sin of anger. And we're going to do what we've done in the, a couple weeks ago and, and kind of keep with this pattern and ask three questions. What is anger? And what is anger doing to us? If it's a sin, it's doing something to us. And, and what has Christ done for us? And what does God's word tell us to do in response? How do we overcome these things? And so let's go to scripture and read this passage, just one, one verse from Proverbs, and we'll pray and dive right in. So uh, this is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20, 29. It says this, whoever is patient has great understanding. I'm going to read that again. I need it. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Let's pray together. Jesus, your name is above every name, and you are holy. In Christ, you desire that we walk in holiness, and we know that because your word tells us that. And we know that you desire that in us. And so you paid everything that, we, that needed to be paid so that we could live that life that you've called us to. And so as we open scripture and we study these seven deadly sins, these things that you hate, God, we pray that what you would teach us in the midst of this and, and, and happen in this room is not a weight that would, that would weigh down on us. Father, your grace would show us the freedom that we have from these sins because of the name of Jesus, because of the person and the work of Jesus and the hope that we have that each one of these has been overcome by the blood of Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So anger, anger is not one of those uh, things that I've personally experienced, but I learned a lot this week as I was studying about some of you guys, and it's kind of scary. Uh, and so I hope that there's some things that I can help you with. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking. <laughs> My wife is like, uh-uh, <laughs> you better stop. Um, there's a, a, a pastor and author and counselor, a guy named Paul Tripp. He made this observation. He says, we live in, an, in a shockingly angry world. A shockingly angry world. And it caught me off guard as he said it. But, it, you know, the, the reality is that if you really think about it, it's true. And we know that it's true. I, I know it's true personally that, because I've been that shockingly angry person. I, I, I've, uh, let, me, let me paint a picture for you and maybe help you kind of understand where, where I'm coming from. There I was in traffic. Do I need to say anything else? Right? Let me put another layer in it. There I was in carpool traffic. That's a whole nother layer of crazy, crazy anger, right? And you can see things. You can, you can experience anger and, and shocking anger in those places. I, I've, I've watched it with my own eyes when people have lost their minds and done absurd things. And, and I've seen it in my home, not with Rebecca. She is an angel. She never loses her temper. But with the other three that live there with me, I've seen shocking anger in the past couple of months and watching it on the news or seeing it in social media posts. And that's a rabbit hole that will, lose, that will cause you to lose all hope in humanity, watching people lose their minds on video. I know, I know this shocking anger just because we talked just recently, some, a city official shared with some of our pastoral staff at the Franklin campus 
about stories that he's heard from, from servers and, and, and individuals that work in the food and entertainment industry and the healthcare industry and teachers that have received, have been on the receiving end of that shocking anger from patrons and from parents and, and those kind of things that have lost their minds on them and put this, these despair absurd displays of shocking anger right out in the open for, for everybody to see. And so I think the beginning for us is really to define it. What is anger, right? What is anger? And this is not like a Webster definition, but just kind of what we're going to working definition for us. If you have your worship guides, you can fill these in that anger is an emotion that everyone experiences, that anger is an emotion that everyone experiences. And secondly, kind of a second layer of that definition is anger is often, but not always sinful. It's an emotion that everyone experiences and it's often, but not always sinful. Let's let's start with that first point, just that first part, just kind of break this apart that that anger is an emotion. It's an emotion, but but if you really kind of study and like look at anger a little bit, anger is not like an original emotion. Right, anger has is a reactive emotion. It comes from somewhere. It's not just birthed out of nowhere. It 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 comes. It's a response to something else, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And, and what it shows us, it's a response to. But it's pretty easy for us to, as we think about anger, is to kind of think about angry people, right? In in our minds, maybe the the images of our neighborhood Karen or Carl. That's a that's something I just came up with. It's not just that they come up, right? That if you're Carl in here or Karen, I'm not calling you angry. Maybe you are, I don't know. But it, uh, on Tuesday mornings, there's a group of guys, there's a men's group that meets at 6 a.m. at the Panera or Bread Co. for Josh Peters and uh, St. Louis fans there. It's not actually Panera in his world, but either way, y'all all will know it as Panera. At 6 a.m., if you don't have something to do at 6 a.m., Panera in, in, in Spring Hill right there, would love for you to come and start your day off right, that, in, uh, right there anyway. I told Josh the other day, there's a group of guys that come in about the same time or right halfway through when we're, when we're there. And after, after that meeting happens, I stick around for another meeting and just watching these guys and you know, you can, on these guys' faces, they're just, they're just not happy. Right. And I told Josh that the other day that the, 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 the word that comes to my mind when I look at these guys, as they sit on the other side is the word sauerkraut. And I'm sure that just right then, you had a picture of what these guys look like, right? Like you have a picture of the, the faces that these guys make and just the, the, just, they're just not, it just doesn't seem like they're happy, right? But, and, and the reality is that that's what I think about when I think about angry people. And it's really easy for all of us to kind of look at when we're talking about anger and think angry people, that it's somebody else. But anger is an emotion that everyone experiences. The point that we want to get to is the reality is that sometimes, sometimes traditionally what we do is, is we've separated anger or we separated people as, as to those who are angry and those who are not angry. They're like the red face erupting or the unflappable easygoing, right? But the, but the truth is that everybody gets angry. And the better way to describe it is not just red faced erupting and, and, and unflappable easygoing, but those who are angry outward and those who are angry inward because everybody is angry. And the anger that we experience, whether outward or inward, has the potential to be sinful. It's often, but not always sinful, because we know that anger is an emotion that's God-given. 
We know it because scripture tells us that God is angry, has been angry. There's moments where we see God's anger is birthed towards his people or towards those who are offending his people or towards his great name, right? So anger is an emotion that God has and it's a God-given emotion for us. So it can be sinful, but it is not always sinful. Good things come from the response of anger to things that are that come against us to response to injustice. We see it in history, Winston Churchill and those that were a part of World War II. And I'm not saying all of them did everything right, but this, this one part, right? There was a, an offense against humanity and that anger against those things caused them to step out. Martin Luther King Jr. Had an, was angry about racial injustice and great things came from it. Scripture tells us that Moses was angry about what was happening to his people and then God used that to send him to those people to rescue them. That Acts chapter six, it tells us that there were a group of believers that were upset at another group of believers that were not okay or not handling the widows from their group well. And from that anger, from that upset, that place of being upset, these guys... The, the apostles chose men who would become deacons. In Rolling Hills, we don't call them deacons, we call them A6 from Acts chapter six. It came from a place where somebody was angry. What happened? And from there, the, the, these individuals, they, they moved into to taking care and a different structure was so something good happened from the anger that these individuals had. Jesus was angry in the temple and good came from those things. So we conclude that, G, that, that anger is not always sinful. And, and as Ephesians 4, Paul instructs us that we can be in our anger to not sin. But the reality is that it is often sinful. And I would say more often than not for us, that it, is, it either is or it's bending towards sinful. So we have to pay attention to it and how it's, what's happening in us and what it's doing to us, which is the second point. What is anger doing to us? And there's a couple of things. We're going to break this apart, but I'm going to give you the whole sentence that anger is, anger is displaying our foolishness. It's exposing what we love and leading us to destruction. Anger is displaying our foolishness, exposing what we love and leading us to destruction. Again, we'll break this apart a little bit. It's displaying our foolishness in, in Proverbs. Again, the passage we read just a second ago, it says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. It's been really clear in the past couple, past couple years as we've kind of emerged out of this lonely spot and people have become increasingly kind of angry in public places, right? But, but the reality, the sting is not just what we see on the outside. The sting is when it's, when it's the personal accusation, Right In those moments when we get angry and we lose our temper, when, when I lose my temper with my kids or my spouse or when I do lose it in traffic or at a, at a fast food restaurant or at a baseball game, my kid's baseball game or softball game, in those moments when, when I, even at my best attempts, when I'm trying to justify it or laugh it off, really what's happening is on display in front of God and everybody is my foolishness. It exposes a foolishness. It puts on display 
foolishness. Now, sometimes it's outward, sometimes it's inward, but even the inward way, the ways that we, that we have emotions of anger that is sinful inwardly exposes our foolishness because we tell ourselves stories about things that are happening around us that are not true. We see the world incorrectly and it exposes that foolishness. It puts that foolishness on display. Second thing that it tells is that anger exposes what we love. Remember I said early that, earlier that anger is not an original emotion. It, it, it's an emotion that's reactive, meaning it has a source. There's a root to our anger. Something has sparked that anger, and it exposes, ultimately, when you get to the root of it, what we love. Tim Keller, author and pastor, says this, that uncorrupted, un, uncorrupted form of anger is actually, excuse me, uncorrupted anger is actually a form of love. When, when anger is not sinful, it's a form of love. Another pastor said it this way, that anger is a love in motion. It protects the objects of love, of our love. It's when, we, when the thing that we love the most is what we protect against. When we love this thing, anger rises when something comes against it. And we know, we know what it's like to be, anger and if, to be angry. And if we really want to understand what the source of our anger is, if we're digging down into the root of those things, what we really should look at is the object that has the greatest affection in our lives. And what we find there, it, more often than not, is that there's a distortion in our love. There's a distortion in our, fe- our affection, something that's broken and disordered about the way or about what we're loving. The reality, though, even when we get down to these things, is that we were wired to love. God created us to the core to be lovers. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus himself says this when he's kind of asked about what the most important commandments are. Jesus says this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We were wired to love. Jesus says everything hangs on love and getting love in the right order gets the rest of it in the right order. But the reality, but rather than that, what happens for us is that we get love out of order and everything goes haywire. We get love out of order and everything goes haywire and then shockingly distorted love that is the root of the majority of sinful, shocking anger, whether it's inward or outward is expressed. And this disordered love, more often than not, when we bring it on, when we bring it down and really begin to look at the root of it, this disordered love that's at the root of the majority of our sinful, shocking anger comes down to a love of the object that's staring us back in the face when we look in the mirror. That I love more than anything myself that I love more than anything. I'm consumed with this distorted and broken love for myself and my tiny little kingdom that is, that is when, when things come against it, when, when something tries to attack it, that I will annihilate anything that comes against the peace and the comfort and my sovereign rule over this pathetic little kingdom of myself. At the root of more often than not, our disordered response and this shocking anger is a disordered, shocking love for myself when I'm supposed to 
when I was wired to love God first. We see it all around us. When Jonathan Parnell, pastor and author, says this, that what we see is the explosive power of a flawed affection. And what we see, when we see these moments, an outburst or inward boiling of anger, that, that there's an explosive power of a flawed affection, affection that is placed on the wrong thing. So what happens when we're snubbed at work or by a neighbor or on social media, when we're cut off in traffic, right? When we're, when we're unappreciated by our spouse or our kids, when we're disrespected by, by our children, and there's these sudden outbursts of anger, or these boilings of anger that, that happen inside of us, it's, it's something even more shocking is exposed in the fact that it's the ugly reality of my self-centered love that seeks pleasure and purpose and power and peace and applause and security in a fragile kingdom that the walls are crashing in. And I become angry. When we sit in that fragile kingdom and we're being attacked and our, where everything focuses on us, our anger leads us to places that are destructive. That what anger does is it leads us to destruction. I love this quote from a, a book that I've been reading as we've walked through this series over the past several weeks. It says this, that anger is the most deadly, excuse me, the most dangerous of the deadly sins. Again, we, it's clear in Romans 6 that, that the wages of sin, of all sin, is death. But inhibit, inhibited, uninhibited expressions of anger can quite literally kill physically the object and spiritually the subject. Jesus himself connects our anger with murder. It goes further. The apostle John, in 1 John, he says that anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Anger destroys us. It, it turns us inward. It destroys others and destroys relationships. And, and, and Psalm, it, it, the, the psalmist writes this, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It, it, excuse me, it leads only to evil. So what I mean, all, it, it, it's murder on the one end. If, if, to hate your brother, to have that anger in our hearts, it's murder here. And, and to be angry and wrathful and to fret, it only leads to evil. James says in, in James chapter 1 verse 20 says, because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. You can be, you can be angry and not sin, but human anger, the anger that is most often that inward focused selfish anger is destructive and it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. It leads us to destruction. I'm sure after last night's all the laughter that this was incredible fun for all of us to just learn all of the things that are destroying us and how it's really this inward focus and I'm sure that you're loving all of those things, that the reality that we look like fools and we have this distorted love and this selfishly living to protect our fragile kingdom is quite literally leading us to destruction. But we're not without hope because the name of Jesus that we sang about is also the name that rescues us. So what does Christ do for us? What does God's word tell us to do? Listen to this. What, what sin does, this is another, uh, Paul Tripp says this. He says that what sin does 
to me is it causes me to want to live in this claustrophobic confines of my own little self-defined world, our own tiny kingdoms. I was never meant to live this way. I was never meant to, to have a life that was driven by what I want, where I want it, and when I want it, and how I want it, and why I want it, and all of those things. But then there's hope in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Listen to these words of hope for us. In a world of self-centered, focusing on ourselves. Paul writes, and died for all that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. That Christ died for all. That those who live, those who've put their faith in him and have been rescued by him no longer live for themselves. That literally what Christ does when he rescues us is he takes us out of the confines, the claustrophobic confines of that little kingdom that we have worked so hard to protect that's causing so much of our anger because the walls are falling in on us and we don't know what to do to keep ourselves and working to find that peace and that protection and that all of those things and, and having all of it the way that I want it and when I want it, it's all crashing in. But Christ comes to rescue us from those places and put us in a kingdom that is not claustrophobic. A kingdom where truly the desires, the deepest desires of our heart are met in the person who rescues us. That Christ came and designed, Christ came and died to rescue us from the foolish destruction, the foolish and destructive self-centered lives that we live in our own kingdom. And he's invited us to, wet, to live the life that he's created us to live. Living from his grace and for his glory and to live in his kingdom and not our own. And it's not just a kingdom, listen, church, it's not just a kingdom that's sometime in the future. It's a kingdom that is now. It's hope for a life, not just one day, a long time from now, whenever he comes back and brings us to be with himself. It's a, it's a hope for today that Jesus rescued us from the confines of those, those places. He gives us life right now. That gives us victory over anger. He gives us victory over this vice, right? I mean, what we've talked about over and over again in these things, that there's a, there's a distance between the vice of anger and the, the virtue of delight that we, that we've kind of identified here. And in the middle of that road that's broken that we'll never get to the other side except for the victory of Jesus. And in that victory, he's given us life, a life more abundant and free, a life that is overcoming these things that are keeping us in the confines of that tiny little broken kingdom. Scripture also gives us a handful of ways tools that we can use on a daily basis, on a, on a, on a regular basis to, to see these sins, specifically anger, to, to, to overcome them and to walk in, in wholeness and holiness and, and to live the life that God's called us to live. And as we close, I want to kind of give us a handful of those. And uh, you're, you'll see this. I, I got really excited about this. This is the ABCDs a, and D of, of overcoming or, or walking in victory from anger. I know you, you might not think that that's super cool, but I thought it was. And so you can just humor me today. 
So we begin, what, what do we do? What does scripture tell us to do? And I think that there's so clear, so many times in, in scripture that it tells us to analyze our anger. I had to use analyze because that's the, the word that fit right there and it made A work for, for me. So analyze, I know that's like, that's a high word for UT. You're kind of lower bar than that. But listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 42, verse five. It says, why? The psalmist says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The emotion that he's experiencing, whatever it is in that moment, it may be that he's, that he's experienced depression. It may be anger. There's things that are coming out of the, the psalmist as he's writing this. And the truth is that he's looking inside and saying, why do you feel this way? We've talked about this in the past when we talked about mental health and, 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 and some emotional health that we ask ourselves questions. Why do you feel the way that you're feeling? To, to ask what's going on inside of me. We, we, we establish that we, we have to, we know that there's different reasons that we get angry. We've said that, that, that we express anger in different ways, but we always want to get to the root of it and asking ourselves. So we ask, well, what, what's making you angry right now? What is it that I love so much that's beginning to be taken from me that's causing me to react the way that I'm reacting in this moment? What do I truly care about more than anything else that's, become, that's being robbed from me or that I feel like being robbed? Is, am I angry because I've been inconvenienced? I mean, when I walk into the house on a, on a, on, you know, a typical day and I mean, I've worked hard typing. <laughs> Thank you. And, I, and all I wanna do is have some peace and quiet, right? This was a lot more of an issue years, years ago when the kids were small. It wasn't them that was the problem. It was that I was inconvenienced. My inconvenience, my comfort was my, what I love the most. And, and my anger was birthed because they were taking that comfort. I was being inconvenienced. Was it because I'm inconvenienced? Is it because I've been overlooked? Is it because I didn't get what I wanted? Why am I angry? We don't just ask ourselves, right? With second, we've got to bring our anger to the Lord. Because honestly, even in the midst of that, I can, I can begin to tell myself a story as I look inward and justify. I can lie to myself in those moments and make it sound like what I'm doing is justifiable. But, but what happens in scripture, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm chapter 73, verses 13 through 17 says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. Asaph is saying this, he said, I've washed my hands in innocence. Just a little bit of a background. He's looking at life and all of these people who have lived wicked, hateful lives. And they have this success, at least in his view, this worldly, earthly success. And he says, surely I've done the wrong thing because I don't have the success they have. And I've kept my life pure. He says, all day long, I've been afflicted. Every, and every morning brings, brings new punishment. But listen, he said, if I had spoken out, like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. He looks back over these things, but then there's a moment of sobriety for him. And he says, listen, I know that if I would have spoke out of that, it would have hurt a lot of people. If I would have just let my anger, if I would have looked inward or asked myself these questions, maybe surely I'm the one who's wrong. I'm the one who's done all of these things wrong. If I would just ask myself these questions and let it live on me, 
then I would have hurt a lot of people in my reaction. But he doesn't do that. Verse 17, it says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Asaph went to the Lord and he brought his anger into the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord does what it does every time. It changes our perspective. We bring our needs, we bring our questions to the Lord, not only because it's the right place, but it's only the only sufficient place for us to get the answers that we're seeking. Our hearts are not going to turn. Our perspective is not going to change. And, we're, and, and when we process our anger on our own, it's only going to change when we bring that anger before the Lord. So we analyze and then we bring it before the Lord and we cling to the truth. Again, anger clouds things up. It, it blinds us to the truth and we ang- ang- analyze it and then bring that anger before the Lord. And, and, and then the clouds begin to fade as we recognize that that anger is sin and we feel the ridiculousness of our reactions. And then we cling to the truth. Rather than clinging to the reaction and realizing, oh, I look like such a fool and I've destroyed all these things and, and I'm, I'm so self-centered. Rather than just clinging to those things and walking away, walking in that, in that destructive pattern and continuing to stay there and never turning back and realizing the reality and clinging to the truth that God's word says that even that Jesus' death on a cross rescues us and saves us and forgives us from even these follies. What's more is that so many times, so much of what causes us that anger is that we feel overlooked, but we cling to the scripture that says that Jesus sees us all the time, that we've never been left alone. You've never been more seen than you are right now, not by somebody else, but by the creator of the universe. And so if anger is birthed because you feel like you've been overlooked, listen, the the God of all creation has not overlooked you. If you feel like you've, your anger is birthed because you've been inconvenienced or something's been taken away from you, the God's word tells us that he's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. There's not one thing that you need to live the life that God's called you to that he hasn't provided for you, even if we don't feel like we've got it right now. And the list goes on and on and on. We cling to the truth of God's word. He's forgiven us and he's provided everything that we need. And then lastly, there's delight yourself in the Lord and to seek his kingdom. To delight yourself in the Lord and to seek his kingdom. Psalms, again, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, the antidote for anger is first delight. To take delight in the thing that is most delightful in all the universe, the God of all creation. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that God so loved, that he so delighted in the world, that he gave his only son to rescue us, that we could delight in him. The answer, the antidote for our anger is not stoicism. It's not some indifference. It's a crazy, passionate, delighting in Jesus finding our hope and our joy and our delight in him. And secondly, what follows that is an abandonment to the protection of my own kingdom and a walking in and living in the fullness of the kingdom 
of God. It says in Matthew again, Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We delight in him and we walk in his kingdom. We seek his kingdom. And all of a sudden, all these things that we've desired, he, he, we see those provisions there for us. And then that anger becomes anger at the right things. So how does this happen? I'm going to bring the, the band up and we're going to close. But just practically, how does that happen? How does, it, how does it happen for us to, to delight in Jesus, to find a, a steady practice of, of asking or analyzing and bringing our, our needs before him and clinging to the truth and then delighting in him? What, I think that some of you are going to know what I'm going to say because I say it so often and hopefully, hopefully you get tired of it enough. We've got to spend time with God in his word. Spend time with God in his word and in prayer. I meet people and, and they tell, they're surprised by the fact that they're going through struggles. And you know what I automatically know when I know that somebody's, when they're, when they're surprised by struggles, that they're not reading God's word. Because if they were reading God's word, they would know that throughout scripture, all of God's people experienced struggle. When I, when I meet people who are angry and they don't know that God has provided for them, what, what I know is they're not spending time in God's word because God's word tells us that. And so the first thing that we're gonna do if we wanna see these things happen, if we wanna analyze and bring our needs before him and if we wanna cling to the truth and delight in him and walk in his kingdom, is that we've gotta spend time with him and his word. And we need to spend time with God's people in worship and in community we do these things, I'm not telling you that all of it's going to fade away, but we're going to have the resources that we need to walk through those things, to meet the needs as they come to us. Because when I'm reading God's word and spending time in prayer and worshiping with God's people here and, and co corporate worship and spending time in community and circles, there's going to be moments when that anger bursts inside of me and something that somebody said in community group or a song that we sing or something that I read or a moment of prayer, God's going to bring that back and say, no, you're being real selfish and self-centered, but I've rescued you from that kingdom. This morning, we're going to sing just one more song, and this is just a really a time for us to respond. And so you can stand up if you need to stand up, but really, it, it's really what you need to do for just a moment as we just meditate on what God has done, meditate on the fact that he knows us, that he sees us, that there's never been a place that he's not been with us, and then we can rest in his name. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more time, one more song, and then a couple things I want to wrap up with. Jesus, thank you for today. And that you have given us everything that we need and we can take great delight in you. That you've invited us to delight ourselves in you. To seek your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing and the fact that we get to be a part of it. And thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thanks so much for being here today, church. If you want to get further connected with our online campus, send me an email today at the address below or scan this QR code. I would love to hear from you and help you figure out where to get plugged in at Rolling Hills. Follow us on our social media channels to stay connected with us and with others in our online community throughout this week. And we'll see you back here next Sunday.